Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, not many people can say their career has placed them center stage at as many historical happenings as award-winning White House photojournalist Christy Bow. She joins us to reflect on her career and how the business has changed over the years from her fascinating new memoir, Eyes That Speak. Also this morning, is this the slippery slope opponents of legalized marijuana warned us about? New research now claims the drug found in psychedelic mushrooms can be used to treat alcoholism. It's week number two of the high school football season. Coach's Corner host John Marshall previews tonight's area action. And we have another collection of tasty recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, August 26th. 2022. National Dog Day today, uh, leading off the collection of reasons to celebrate observances today. So National Dog Day. It is also National Cherry Popsicle Day. So if you well, maybe give a cherry popsicle to your dog. Today. I think that'd be fine, right? Congressional Startup Day it is Musical Yoga Day, National Women's Equality Day, Make Your Own Luck Day today. I like that. That's a real positive message there. Make your own luck today. And maybe, maybe the most important observance of the day, with apologies to our dogs, it is National Toilet Paper Day today. <laughs> think of where we would be without it so you can understand why that is the most important uh observance of the day so uh the white house yesterday said that the uh biden student loan forgiveness plan could cost are you ready for this i hope you're sitting down 24 billion dollars per year according to what i have here 24 billion dollars Per year. And by the way, remember, the president this week said he was going to offer $10,000 of student debt relief. And many of the liberal faction of the Democratic Party want far more, if not a complete uh, meal ticket for, uh, for college. They want a, a complete loan forgiveness, make college free, and uh, all of that. Just for giving $10,000 of student debt is going to cost $24 billion per year. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre made that assessment on CNN, uh, saying that it is that's assuming that 75% of U.S. students take advantage of the plan. 75%? Why, why would the other 25% not take advantage? We're not talking about uh, 75% of the population, 75% of U.S. students. She said would take it, but why would the other 25% not take advantage of that? I mean, it's free money, right? So, of course, 100% will take advantage of it. But they say 75%, and that would cost $24 billion a year. Now, uh, earlier in the day, she insisted that the plan would be fully paid for, but when pressed, she was unable to explain how. So... Still an awful lot of questions uh, on this. Are we surprised? Just 
to let you know the latest because I'm guessing that's going to be a topic of discussion like in the Sunday news shows and things. <laughs> People are going to be talking about that. Uh, so did you hear the other uh, big story this week? One of the other big stories that left me shaking my head. Um, the state of California has decided to outlaw the sale of internal combustion vehicles what, by 2035, I think they've got a, a new law in California that you can't sell gas or diesel-powered vehicles by 2035. And uh, I think at least one other state, I think it's either Oregon or Washington State, is looking at implementing a similar ban. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't be able to buy a car in another state and bring it back to California or that you'll have to sell your gas-powered vehicle if you move to California anything like that. It's not going to be not going to be illegal to own them just to buy new ones and used vehicles to still be able to be sold. But still, you may think that is the craziest new law. I mean, are we really ready for this? I don't know. But anyway, um by the way, I thought the first thing that I thought when I heard about that law how are they going to power that? There's already talk about uh, Hoover Dam very soon. If Lake Mead keeps dropping, Hoover Dam may not be able to produce electricity. And where does that electricity go? The West Coast, like Southern California. So if they're going to increase demand on the electric grid by that much, where's that going to come from? Anyway, but I digress. If you think that this is the point uh, that I was going to get to here. If you think that's the craziest new law that you've heard about this week, think again. In New York State, I saw this on the Newswire, there is a relatively new law. It actually took effect last November, but a lot of folks don't know it. In the state of New York, you now must be 21 years old to buy whipped cream. <laughs> Sale of whipped cream is restricted to age 21 and over. Um... Again, a lot of people don't know this, including apparently some supermarket clerks. Uh, stores are supposed to ask for ID before selling whipped cream in the spray cans. I guess a tub of whipped cream is no big deal, but the whipped cream, because the concern is that teenagers might be using the spray bottles of whipped cream to get high because the cans are filled with nitrous oxide also known as laughing gas, which can be dangerous if used improperly. So, it'd be 21 to buy whipped cream in the state of New York. <laughs> and apparently nobody knows this. They're supposed to be carding people, and they're not. Uh, this is kind of interesting. The car that Nancy Pelosi's husband was driving during his DUI crash some weeks ago is now going up for auction. Uh, this was last May that Paul Pelosi was involved in a two-car crash near Napa, California. He was driving a 2021 Porsche 911 Carrera S uh, when, he, uh, when he crashed. He pleaded guilty to DUI this week. He was sentenced to fines, restitution, five days in jail, I believe, and uh, three years probation. TMZ reports that uh, the Porsche has a retail value of about $160,000, even in a damaged condi condition. I'm assuming it hasn't been repaired. Anyway, it will be auctioned off to the highest bidder. No date has been set for the auction. So I'm assuming that the insurance company totaled it and bought it out and they're selling it uh, at auction. And I don't know all of the details of that. But if you have a hundred and 
some odd thousand dollars laying around and uh, are interested in an interesting piece of political pop culture memorabilia. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. How about this? It appears, according to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, breast implants and butt lifts are apparently a recession-proof business. New nationwide poll finds that three in four cosmetic surgeons in this country are seeing booming business as people move past the coronavirus pandemic. Specifically, the survey from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons finds that three-quarters of cosmetic-focused plastic surgery practices are seeing greater demand for cosmetic procedures now than before the pandemic started. Nearly 30% of those plastic surgeons in the survey say their business has actually doubled after COVID with a surge in demand for both surgical and non-invasive procedures. Make of that what you will. I just throw it out there. You can <laughs> make of that what you will. Um, how many times have you heard people say, you know, the problem with kids today is that there's just no discipline. There's just no discipline. And it's the uh, problem that, uh, that schools have. That's the problem with kids today. The schools have no discipline. Well, not so in the Cassville, Missouri school district. They are bringing back spanking with a wooden paddle in schools. Yes, that's right. The Cassville, Missouri school district is um, implementing an opt-in policy, meaning that parents have to sign off on the idea of corporal punishment for their students. So to be a case-by-case -case basis. But if the parents opt in, if the parents sign off on this uh, and kids get in trouble, younger students would receive one or two whacks, older children could receive up to three. Superintendent Merlin Johnson uh, claims that parents were actually asking to reinstate corporal punishment, um, saying we had people actually thank us when they learned that corporal punishment was coming back to the school. The, uh, the first state to ban corporal punishment in schools was New Jersey. And in 1977, the Supreme Court uh, determined that each state should decide if corporal punishment should be legal. So it's state by state. Uh, the school board policy is for the paddling to only be administered by a principal with a witness and never in front of other children. So those are the restrictions. But corporal punishment back in this school district in Missouri. What say you? Obviously, a lot of uh, human rights organizations uh, are very much against this, but put it out there. And uh, lastly, this morning, among the first things you need to know this morning, this may be this day's news of most lasting significance. The most important, most significant story you hear today, a groundbreaking new autism screening test out of Washington State University looks at how a child's pupils react to light. Researchers at WSU use a portable device of their own invention to test how a child's pupils react in the presence of light. And the study found, their research found, in children on the autism spectrum, 
the pupils take longer to constrict in response to light stimuli. They also take longer to return to their original size once the light is removed. Researchers say it is the first objective screening test for autism. Traditionally, autism is diagnosed through subjective evaluation of a patient's behavior. So this is a, an objective way of diagnosing autism. The lead researcher in the study says she is currently preparing to file for FDA pre-market approval for their screening device. Wow. So there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. It'll be partly sunny today, but there is a chance for an afternoon storm, a high of 82. Partly cloudy tonight, a low of 61. The project to widen County Road 9 next to the Liberty Benton Local Schools campus has been completed. Superintendent Mark Kowalski says the widening project was necessary to help the area handle the increased traffic that will be created by the new K-8 building that's going up on the growing campus. There on a given day, you could have 2,000 people in and out of there. Now, obviously not 2,000 cars, but you could have 2,000 people transporting in and out of this site. So, And there's a lot happening at Liberty Benton Local Schools in addition to the new elementary middle school that's being built. When high school students head back to school soon, they'll enjoy the renovations that the high school underwent over the summer. Get more on the website. Teachers in Columbus who went on strike on Monday have reached a conceptual agreement on a new contract with the school district. The board and the union must first ratify that contract. We're expecting that to happen over the weekend, but students will continue that online learning. Then the teachers union will vote on that conceptual agreement this weekend. Members of the teachers union telling members not to report to the picket sites. I'm Angela Ann. Controversial former Cleveland Browns owner Art Modell has again fallen short of being elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The man who controlled the Browns for over 30 years was not named the final nominee for the coach contributor committee, with former Cardinals and Chargers coach Don Coryell instead getting the nod. Modell's reputation in Cleveland was ruined after he moved the Browns to Baltimore in 1995, claiming he had no choice due to his precarious financial situation. But his lack of transparency throughout the process made him a reviled figure in Northeast Ohio. Kate Burdett, ONN News. The Liberty Township Fire Department Association is inviting the community to its Fire Service Day celebration. It'll be held on Saturday from 11 to 3 at the Fire Department on County Road 140 in Finley. The event will include food games, fire safety demonstrations, free haircuts for kids, and more. People are being asked to help stuff the fire truck with school supplies for Liberty Benton local schools. Get more details on the website. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, you know, for all its faults, I still believe that journalism is a noble profession. But while reporters may be praised or vilified for their work and their work may be discussed, photojournalists often simply go overlooked entirely. Kind of ironic, actually. Uh, take, for example, Christy Bowe. Hers may not be a household name, but she is one of the few women photographers who has covered five consecutive administrations at the White House, confirmation hearings of eight Supreme Court justices, two impeachments, everything from the pomp and circumstance of royal visits to the solemnity of 9-11 and everything in between. And her new memoir is called Eyes That Speak, 
one woman news photographer's journey with history makers. And Christy, first off, how did you get where you are now? I mean, for any journalist, uh, there are not too many positions higher than covering the White House. So talk a little bit about that journey. Well, I was fortunate enough to be Sarah McClendon's uh, photographer when I had met her. She was a reporter uh, back in the day Mm -hmm. there that had covered more presidents than I have at the time. She's since passed away. But when I had first met her as a reporter, she and I uh, kind of bonded. We were both fighting for a seat at the National Press Club Mm -hmm. uh, to photograph Henry Kissinger and... I didn't know who she was. And when people started coming into the room, they wanted to have their picture taken with her. We were there very early. And uh, and it was something I, I ended up sending her a uh, picture that I had taken of Henry Kissinger with her. When, when he came in the room and embraced her, uh, I was like, wow, I got to find out who this woman was. And she was <laughs> one of the pioneers in, in our industry. She was one of the first members, women members of the National Press Club and uh, and presidents were afraid of her. So she and Helen Thomas were buddies. They yeah. were competitors, friendly competitors, mm-hmm. but the presidents were always afraid of her. And, uh, like president Clinton during an interview about her, he was saying, I was afraid to call on her because I never knew what she would say. She <laughs> asked very direct questions. So I was lucky that although we were in different, uh, sides of the of the coin here in, in reporting the news. She was a reporter and I was a photographer. She was my entree into the white house. I was credentialed under her and then she taught me the ropes. And then as she was getting older, I said, you know, I'd like to start my own little business also, which is when I formed image catcher news. And, uh, and she, uh, helped, to um, get me going in Mm. that by giving me a recommendation, you had to have like several people, yeah. recommend you in order to switch your pass over to show that you were a legitimate news organization. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, everybody is familiar with the old saying that a picture is worth a thousand words, but you know, it, it used to be in the days when print journalism was king, especially that the, uh, photograph was seen as sort of a supplement to the story and, or an enhancement to the story. It was the, still the story, uh, was the thing, but, Now, in the 21st century, in this age of social media and digital, where images are often the first and sometimes the only thing that really drives one's perspective on events in the news. I mean, you've seen it as much as anybody else. People start uh, discussing stories in the news based off of a photograph and a headline they see in social media. How has that uh, how has your part of telling those stories in the news changed over the years, and does that impact the way you approach your work? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, the The industry has changed so dramatically since when I first got into it. You used to take take your picture with black and white film, go to the lab, process it, make a contact sheet, yeah. take it to your editor, they'd pick it out, and then it would end up in the paper. Now, when the president is speaking, people are uh, as they're as he is speaking, the pictures are being transmitted around the world. Yeah. So the 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 part of twenty um, four hour news feed is a blessing and a curse. I mean, it used to be that as I don't know uh, your your age, but uh, in in my time when I was a kid, 
there used to be news was only on a few times in right. the evening. Yeah. And and people had time to check their sources and then they would say it and it would just be here's the news like the old Walter Cronkite and people like that mm-hmm. that it it uh here's the news and that's it. And now people are really putting their opinions in quite often and then those those uh those news organization those those shows and those um points of view people listen to they tune in to how people think like they do Mm -hmm. so and and it's amazing how you can listen to to one news station and then listen to another well actually even tv yeah you'll hear two different sides of the story and and i've seen that a lot when i'm sitting there and say, wait a second, I was just here, and both of these networks were on either side of me, and they have two different yeah. sides of what I just saw. So that's kind of unfortunate um, in, in a way because there seems to be more sensationalism, I think, with the 24-hour news cycle mm-hmm. because there's so much competition that sometimes, not always, but once in a while people will – run with a story to to break it so that they can beat out their competitors and then find out if it was 100% true later. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not giving us a good name. Yeah. So I, I think that's unfortunate but with the fierce competition as it is uh you know that's what seems to be happening and then the media for a while there we were really demonized as we saw on um mm-hmm. you know when i experienced around on uh, when i covered january 6th at the capitol yeah that's that's really unfortunate and and some of the um newscasters when they would cover the president at different rallies they had to have bodyguards with them yeah do you get that as and, much and that's really a shame do, do you get that as much i mean you know the a, a photograph a story can be slanted one way or the other but a photograph mm-hmm. is what it is i mean you know you take the photo and put it out there and it is what it is it's hard to um it's hard to have a a point of view or a slanted perspective on an image of something that is actually happening? Well, you can. Actually, that that can happen. Like, say, when I was uh, photographing uh, President Biden doing the bill signing a couple of days ago in the state dining room, Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the episode, at the beginning of the uh, event, he was coughing a little bit and his eyes were tearing up as he was taking his mask off. Mm. And that could be used, that picture, depending on the story it was with, with him tearing up, it could have been used. That same picture can be pulled and used that he was getting emotional about something when really he was just coughing as he was taking his mask off. Yeah. So there, it, it, it can go in a couple of different directions, but it, it is good that, that everybody it can be a photographer and can be a reporter because, um, you know, that uh, came in handy is, certainly for the George Floyd incident mm-hmm. where, where look, look what happened with that. That was a cell phone thing that, that well was on that extremely significant. Yeah. On, on that note, I mean, again, you know, nowadays everybody has a camera uh, on their phone mm-hmm. that we carry around with us 24 seven how has that changed the way that you approach your work? It's pretty easy 
for some, it would be pretty easy for someone to assume that because everybody can take a photo of a breaking news event that you're not, what you do is nothing special. Well, now it's all about access because if, if you, if you, that, that's true in the, in the general, uh, scope of things out, mm-hmm. out in the general public, but you know, to take pictures inside the Capitol and inside the White House requires you to have a special pass and credentials for that. Yeah. And and access to that. So that's helpful. But some I know some of my uh, corporate clients that I had had over the years that I did, th- you know, coverage for at the White House and and, and some of their other mm-hmm. things um, ha- now have people just using their cell phones to cover the events. Hmm. Wow. That's because the the quality of the cell phone is so yeah wonderful now compared to what it was. Like right now, I have the iPhone 12 Pro that is has a better camera on my phone than I did with my um what with my first couple of digital <laughs> cameras because of yeah. the way technology has gone. That oh, that's yeah. ten times better than my <laughs> Nikon D one and two that was five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. We, we sometimes forget, and, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, we sometimes forget that the people in Washington, the newsmakers, are in fact people. As we yes. said, five administrations, eight Supreme Court justices, uh, all of the uh, royal visits and, and everything else. Who really stands out to you among the people that you have covered? George W. Bush was my favorite president to cover. He was he was very genuine. He I think was uh, very underrated, and he was criticized. And getting to your point, that's one of the things that I learned along the way is that a lot of people forget that the U.S. presidents are humans and mm-hmm. they're they're people sitting behind that desk yeah and and people are so hypercritical i mean they can't do i mean look at when joe biden wore his toe clips on his bike everybody's like ah he's old he's falling off his bike he doesn't right. know what he's doing right i mean they can't do anything without somebody criticizing it and that's that's really unfortunate but um at one point I had photographed the three presidents in my book, eyes that speak Um, there. I, that was one of my uh, favorite um, photo ops. I think was when president Clinton uh, Bush 43 and Obama were coming out of the oval office, walking along the colonnade. And that's when it really struck me that that whole day really struck me even coming into the white house yeah. we had extra security where you had to have the bomb sniffing dogs check our cameras mm-hmm. even though we're there all the time we know those same guys they're like you are going to be within yard several yards away from the last 3 us living presidents yeah. so everything was amped up and and the, but the camaraderie between the three of them really was was something because mm. You know, and if you think about it, as other people have mentioned before, it's not just me, but that they are in a special club where only each other knows how hard that job is to yeah. be leader of the free world. Yeah. And and there's a special bond there for most of them, not not obviously all of them. Right. But it, that's, mm. you know, that's very 
special. Such a, such a unique perspective. Again, the uh, book is Eyes That Speak, One Woman News Photographer's Journey with the History Makers. And what does what do you hope people take away from the from the book, not just about journalists or photojournalists, but about the sort of inner workings of the White House that that people might not know? Because it's it's about more than just the photographs. Correct. Yes. Uh, thanks. That's that was the purpose of me doing this book was to let people know that a lot goes into making pictures that uh, some people mistakenly when they see a picture will think, ah, how hard was that? You hit the shutter and there right. you go. Right. No, there's there's a lot of hurry up and wait. There's a lot of check. Everything has to have special credentials now to to go to. You have to have just having a White House pass or a Capitol Hill pass does not mean you get to do everything. Mm -hmm. You have to individually. Everything is assessed ever since covid. Everything is scaled down enormously from from what it used to be. So even just a a few years ago, pre-covid immediately before pre-COVID, things are just not not the same. So you have to have, uh, you know, special permission and a special mm. pass on top of your regular pass to be able to to cover different things. So just to have the access and, and the things that uh, th- that happen behind the scenes, which is why I it was important for me to write this book to hear about some of the to be able to tell other people about um, the adventures behind the scenes. What yeah. what stories happen behind this picture? Like uh, like for instance, um, uh, the Clintons walking away after after Bill Clinton's impeachment with uh, Chelsea in the middle and Hillary on one side, Bill on the other, and Buddy, their poor dog, mm-hmm. a rest in peace, <laughs> um, <laughs> walking across the the South Lawn to the helicopter. That was a famous picture. And every time people see that picture of mine, they go, oh, you're the one that took that picture. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no, actually, it was me and like 75 other photographers. (laughs) But but, you know, so it becomes a challenge. And I try to say this in my book, too, to make my pictures a little different than the guy standing next to me or the woman standing next to me. And, Mm -hmm. And there's still there's more women in this job than than there used to be. And that's one of the things I got a kick out of with President Bush would kid around with me sometimes and say, how are the guys treating you today? And because <laughs> and, you're not allowed to speak to the president in the Oval Office unless he speaks to you first. And we would kid around about that kind of thing. And hmm. um, which was which was special. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's just a lot of behind the scenes yeah. stories that I try to tell about that that kind of showed that more goes into it than just hitting the hitting the shutter yeah fascinating uh peek behind the curtain it is uh, eyes that speak one woman news photographer's journey with history makers christy bow the author and real quickly do you have a, a website where folks can learn more about your work and about the book sure www.imagecatchernews.com is my website and you can get my book through Amazon or book logics, or uh, if you're in Washington politics and prose, we will link that up on our webpage for so folks to check out Christy Bow, Thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.
So we were talking about this story yesterday. New research published in the Journal of the American Medical Association where the chemical found in psychedelic mushrooms is being used to treat alcohol addiction with some success. This is interesting to me on many different levels, so I wanted to learn a little bit more. We are joined this morning by Anthony Tennyson, CEO of Awaken Life Sciences, and Professor David Nutt, former clinical director of the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, who currently works at Awaken Life Sciences, and they have been working on this for many months now. Anthony, let me start with you. Talk about making the connection between treating this particular disease in this particular way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the emphasis on it is because alcohol addiction, it's a chronic disease. It affects many, many millions of Americans each year. Uh, And despite affecting that significant number of people, the, the the success rate for treatments is actually quite poor. Um, anywhere up to three out of four Americans are back drinking alcohol within 12 months of seeking out treatment. And as far as we're concerned in Awakening Life Sciences, that's just not good enough. So we're working hard to identify new and potentially more successful treatment outcomes. And there's actually now there's a strong body of evidence coming from clinical trials that we have run that proves psychedelic-assisted therapy has the potential to be far more effective at treating this chronic disease than currently available treatments. So, uh, Professor Nutt, explain uh, this latest research. Well, over the last 40 years, uh, during which time I was working at NIH, looking for new treatments for alcoholism, there's been very little progress. But with the resurgence of interest in psychedelic medicine, myself, my group, and working with Awaken, We've done two trials which use psychedelic medicine as part of a therapeutic um, program that lasts several months. But we use the medicines to break down the brain circuits of addiction, which continue to drive people to do things they don't want to do, like drink or or to break down the circuits of craving. Because addiction is a brain disorder, and many people who are addicted actually hate being addicted, but they can't stop themselves because mm-hmm. their brain dominates. So as a result of using these uh, these treatments in trials, we have shown that we can get results in terms of persistent abstinence of alcohol, which are three times better than conventional talking therapy. So we're very excited by this and hoping then to take it further forward, to roll it out as, a, as therapy um, across America and Europe over the next decade so um so how would this so how would this work how would these types of treatments be administered and you know kind of take us through some of the nuts and bolts of this if you will absolutely so the first thing to say is this is a medical treatment it's administered by doctors trained the doctors psychiatrists largely in a clinic so people are engaged in the standard uh, psychotherapy treatment for alcoholism where they, they're taught about how alcohols damage them. They understand that. They're talking about how they might deal with problems in the future, like if people offer them a drink. But the core, within those several months of those weekly sessions, they get two or three of the psychedelic medicine sessions with the therapist. And those sessions have a profound effect on them because they re-engage with the reasons for drinking in the first place. 
And they're able to understand the damage that the drinking has done, and they have to confront it. And then they can, with the help of the medicine, break free from the shackles that hold them in that addictive place. But the other really interesting aspect about this medicine is that it facilitates the learning of new thoughts and new processes. So as well as breaking the old habits, people can lay down new ideas, new ways of planning the future, and they can then walk away from their addiction with a, with a um, better constructed view of the world, which allows them to stay abstinent. Now, Anthony, let me ask you on uh, this, because uh, Professor Nutt uh, emphasized the clinical nature uh, of this, uh, because naturally the question in the minds of many will be the idea of using psychedelic uh, drugs as a uh, medicine uh, in, a, in a therapeutic treatment. Is this not just trading one vice for another? So, well, no, we, we don't believe that that's the case at all. These are, these are medicines. Um, we are not replacing, this is not drug replacement. This is not like one treats or, you know, historically the way heroin has been treated by replacing heroin with methadone, and that's just not effective. This is not some sort of ongoing maintenance treatment. What we're talking about here is using psychedelic medicines to improve the effectiveness of psycho or therapeutic therapy to treat addiction. And it's really, it's, it's, as David said, it's, it's a multi-month program with, with a limited number of sessions that are enhanced or in the efficiency or effectiveness of those sessions are improved by psychedelic drugs. So and, in no way are we replacing one, one drug with another in some sort of ongoing maintenance program. This has the ability to revolutionize the treatment for addiction. Which, it has the ability to provide hope, hope for individuals, families, and communities for whom the current treatments have just not been effective and which has resulted in those individuals, families, and communities suffering, suffering for many, many years because the current treatment methodologies have just simply not been effective. So, again, it kind of lays the groundwork for the broader question about the use, the uh, medicinal use, the medical use of psychedelic medicine as gaining broader acceptance across the board. And you see that, you say? Uh, Absolutely. And I think the reason that it's gaining traction is, as David said, there hasn't been an innovation in the treatment of addiction for many, many years, possibly over 50 years. Similarly, there hasn't really been a significant movement in the treatment of mental health. And psychedelic medicines have the ability to radically improve the effectiveness of the treatments for those two categories of chronic conditions that affect so many Americans on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. And what we're doing is we're providing hope for those individuals. And it's the fact that we're providing hope and the potential that that hope has that is really attracting attention to this industry. And that's what we're doing every single day is we're working tirelessly to develop new treatments, to provide hope for those for whom the current treatment methodologies are just not effective. Again, Anthony Tennyson is CEO of Awaken Life Sciences. Professor David Nutt, uh, who currently works at Awaken Life Sciences, uh, former clinical director of the U.S. National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Where do we get more information on uh, all of this? Yeah, so the best place to find information on this is our website. It's awakenlifesciences.com, and that's Awaken spelled A-W-A-K-N. So awakenlifesciences.com, best place for info. 
Gentlemen, thank you both for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'm John Marshall with his high school football preview. It's week two of the football season, and it's another week of largely non-conference action. After a week one loss at Ridgemont, Van Lu opens its home schedule against Ridgedale. The game has been moved to Saturday night as there was an issue getting officials for the contest. The Wildcats are again limited by numbers, having just 13 on the roster, but a pair of injuries means that every player will have to play every down of that game. The rest of the BBC non-league slate looks like this. Arcadia is on the road with Waynesfield Goshen. Arlington goes to Ada. Corey Rawson heads to McGuffey to meet Upper Scioto Valley. Columbus Grove ventures into BBC territory onto the turf at Liberty Benton. Pandora Gilboa makes the short trip to Harmon Field in Bluffton. Riverdale goes to Dola to meet Harden Northern. Van Guren meeting Otsego as two teams of Knights joust. Don Masters and I will make the trip to Maria Stein in Mercer County. We'll bring you the action when Macomb meets defending Division 7 state champion Marion Local. Pre-game is at 6.35 on 100.5 WKXA and WKXA.com. The Finley Trojans are at home in Donnell Stadium when they host Perrysburg. You can hear that one with Tim Montgomery and Cliff Height on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Coming off a tough loss to Liberty Benton last week, Lipsick plays another non-conference matchup with Fairview in Sherwood tonight. This is the first visit for the Vikings to Sherwood, midway between Defiance and the Indiana line. Ottawa Glendorf travels to Harmon Field in Wapakoneta tonight. Wapak lost last week to Marion Local. The Titans dropped their opener to Eastwood, so both teams will be battling for their first win of the season. Doug Derliott will have the call on our sister station, 106.3 The Fox. Once again, Perrysburg visits Finley tonight with pregame at 6.30 on WFIM, and it's Macomb at Marion Local at 6.35 on 100.5. I'm John Marshall, WFIN Sports. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. <laughs> this, think about this on your drive into work this morning. I'd like to have this happen to you. A woman from Rhode Island was driving to work uh, over the weekend, this past weekend, and was surprised when she got to her workplace and found a man in the back of her SUV, a strange man in the back of her SUV. The woman discovered the sleeping man in the back of her Chevy Tahoe as she arrived at the parking lot at work. (laughs) Apparently, she had no idea he was there the whole time she was driving to work. Uh, Police determined that 21-year-old Jesse Osorio had ingested large amounts of alcohol and marijuana then climbed into the SUV, disrobed, and laid down for a nap. (laughs) Okay. Was intoxicated, found the SUV, climbed in, took off his clothes, and just took a nap. It was later discovered that the man has outstanding warrants for breaking and entering. So, if you wondered how in the world did he get into the SUV, apparently has experience in such things. He was taken into police custody on uh, suspicion of breaking and entering the woman's SUV. Now, if your initial question uh, is, and this was mine, how in the world was it that she didn't notice there was some strange guy sleeping off a bender in the back seat, naked in her SUV? 
the unidentified driver told the police she had been listening to a podcast for the duration of the trip before she finally noticed her stoned stowaway. <laughs> that must have been some podcast. I know, it was the Good Mornings podcast edition, wasn't it? Yeah, it is very engrossing, so certainly can understand that. <laughs> Speaking of laying down, uh, in the legal way in this case, Zarko Pijanovic is the laying down champion. The laying down, apparently this is a real thing. It is a contest, strange contest, but a contest nonetheless takes place in Montenegro. Every year, they have a lying down competition. And Mr. Pijanovic won the title of champion layer downer <laughs> after laying, laying down perfectly still for 60 hours. 60 hours hours uh when speaking to reporters afterwards he said quote it wasn't difficult believe me i didn't even have to warm up unquote <laughs> didn't even have to warm up um he said when uh, when company comes to support the competitors it's fun but the biggest mistake is when someone's family comes to uh observe the competition I can't imagine this is a big spectator sport, but I guess having family there, he said, is a distraction. Um, nine people entered the competition, but seven lost by the end of the first day. So the uh, <laughs> the field was whittled down pretty quickly. Uh, Mr. Prianovic and a gentleman by the name of Vuk Koyensik had to battle it out while lying down. The proud winner of the laying down contest, the laying down champion received uh, $350 in cash and a vacation, a free vacation. So, you know, so you can relax. <laughs> After exerting so much energy, laying down. <laughs> now that's my kind of athletic competition right there. That's... Uh, so what are you going to do uh, this weekend? A lot of single folks will go out uh, to the club, right? And who knows, you might meet that special someone. Uh, but not at this Australian nightclub where even just the looking part will get you into trouble. No looking for love in this club. Just the looking will get you into trouble. Club 77 in Sydney, Australia unveiled a new rule to try and curb harassment earlier this month, but some patrons believe they might have taken things a bit too far. Patrons are now banned from staring at anyone else in the club without verbal consent. So, without their verbal consent, you can't stare at someone. As a nightclub, the club managers say, as a nightclub, we encourage you to interact with strangers. However, any engagement must begin with verbal consent. Emphasis on the word must. The policy, the new policy of the club uh, says this also applies if you are, for example, staring at someone from afar. If we receive reports of any behavior that has made someone uncomfortable, the reported individual will be removed from the venue and the police will be called. 
one commenter on social media <laughs> uh, observed this is uh, the end of social interaction as we know it. R.I.P. social interaction. Some people were just confused by the whole thing. Uh, one uh, pointed this out on social media. Don't you have to stare at someone first to see them staring back at you? It's a good point. It's a good point. I don't know. And finally, in the broken news this morning, uh, <laughs> this from the International File in Plymouth, England, Omar Badran, or Badran, I'm not sure you pronounce his name, Omar believes that he was taken advantage of because of his foolish generosity. Basically, here's the story. A stranger asked Omar back in December of last year if it would be okay to park his black Mercedes van uh, in Omar's driveway. And he didn't think it was an issue since uh, he doesn't drive. Omar doesn't drive, so I never use my driveway, sure. But the problem is the stranger never came back to get the car. Uh, Mr. Badron repeatedly contacted the owner to have the van removed, but to no avail. He instead was met with tons of excuses and a refusal to remove the vehicle. He said, this entire thing has made me really miserable, and so many people have told me I'm stupid for having allowed the guy to park in my driveway in the first place, but I was just trying to do a nice thing. So, ultimately, what did he do? He found a provision in England's Torts Act that says objects can be removed if a sign is posted warning that the object would be removed after a period of time. So, he put up a big cardboard sign that said the owner had seven days to remove his van or it would be sent to scrap. The owner never showed, so the van was towed and taken to the scrapyard. Uh, Omar said it didn't end up costing me anything other than the legal fees for the legal advice. And at least his nightmare is over. That's just crazy. I mean, it, it's just bizarre on so many levels. Guy parks his van there. I wonder if it was like stolen or had contraband in it or something. Maybe uh, the guy who owned it was wanted for something and he wanted to hide his vehicle on somebody else's property. I don't know. All kinds of things could be going on here, but just weird that this guy would park his van in someone else's driveway and then never come and pick it up. There you go. That is the broken news this morning. This update on today's odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You know, these days, more and more couples are opting to get married in the fall rather than the traditional month of June. Uh, and with that, a new poll is out, uh, which finds that two thirds of couples getting married, two out of three, say that they want their dog to be involved in the happiest day of their lives. 
their dog, most often as a ring bearer or a flower girl is the most common role for dogs to play when they are involved in the wedding. And the survey also found that couples would spend, on average, $60 to get their dog ready to walk down the aisle. Uh, Things like special collars or custom suits, bow ties, and the like. Um, 93% said that their dog is a part of the family, so it only makes sense to include them in their special day. And uh, one celebrity wedding planner says uh, he finds that dogs actually boost the mood of the guests. Uh, Mark Nimicero, I think is how you pronounce it, he said uh, he uh, actually had corgis in one of the recent weddings that uh, he did, and it was it was brilliant. He said it really uh, lightened the mood, put everybody in a good mood. He says, I'll be doing that again, recommending dogs be a part of it. So the next time you go to a wedding, uh, don't be surprised if the family dog Part of the festivities. Once again, to finish up the week, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio with another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> you, Good morning. Sound, you sound all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but I know you are not. No. No. I'm trying really hard. <laughs> Give me more it's, coffee. There's no sunshine. That's it. That's, That's the problem. That is true. It is a, a little gray. It today. is. That's it's a kind of a gray, gray morning. It's so. gray, so I'm gray. <laughs> <laughs> but we have some uh, great recipes here uh, yes. to uh, maybe brighten your day. Yes. And uh, these are really easy. I mean, very, easy. Uh, very, very easy. I mean, they're all easy. I mean, that's kind of the the goal uh, of the uh, recipes is to you know share mm-hmm. recipes that are, are, are easy to make. It's yes. not really, you don't have to be a chef. No, uh, it's not rocket science. Exactly. <laughs> but these are e- easy even by that standard. Yes. Uh, we begin with barbecue smoked sausage bites. Yes. So this is one 14-ounce package of skinless smoked sausage, um, whatever type of smoked sausage that you like. Um, I like the skinless. Uh, one cup of barbecue sauce and three tablespoons of butter. So And that's it. That's it. That's it. That's all you need. Yep. No, I suppose you could make this a little more elaborate. You can make your own barbecue yeah. sauce. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, if you have think, your own favorite recipe. Didn't we have a uh, recipe? I think we've had a yeah. couple of recipes for barbecue, barbecue sauce, sauce in the past. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can yep. go through those and find one if you don't have your own barbecue sauce recipe. But you could just you know go the easy route and get some off yep. the shelf. So anyway, yep. go ahead. And that's what I do. <laughs> so uh, cut each sausage link into bite-sized pieces. Uh, put into a bowl and pour your barbecue sauce over the top of the sausage bites. Stir until they are all well-coated. Cover with a lid and refrigerate until you're ready um, to barbecue. Turn your grill flame to low. Place butter in a heated cast iron or grill-safe pan. Melt the butter. Then place your smoked sausage bites into the pan and grill until done, turning frequently frequently. 
um, and until ready to serve, and then enjoy. So you're going to put those in a pan on the grill. Correct. So, all right. Yes. So. Yep. Yeah. As opposed to just putting them on the grill. Right. Yeah. They're a little bit harder. You can't just put them on. The, I mean, I guess probably our grill, you could probably do it because of the type of, of slates that we have. The, the, the but some grills, it. you can't do that. It's just going to fall right through. Well, so, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you just put them in a, uh, in a yeah. pan. And, yep. Put them in the pan. And again. Uh, cast iron, cast iron, girl safe. Make it even be uh, yeah. be better. Don't do one with the plastic handle. That would not. Well, be Well, yeah, obviously, <laughs> you don't want to do that. I shouldn't say obviously because somebody will probably do that. It would uh, not be we pretty. Don't, we yeah. don't mention it, but uh, cast safe. iron would be perfect because yes. you got the grill, you got the cast iron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. Uh, so, real simple there. Uh, side bread of cornbread salad. Yes. So this is one 16 ounce package of cornbread mix and make up your cornbread. Uh, following the box, uh, the directions on the box mm. or your own favorite cornbread recipe. Right. Uh, one uh, one ounce package of ranch dressing mix, one and a half cups of sour cream, one and a half cups of mayonnaise, two 15 ounce cans of pinto beans drained and rinsed, one chopped green pepper, a half a cup of chopped sweet onion, one cup of shredded cheddar cheese, and a one 11 ounce can of whole kernel corn drained or if you like using the the frozen corn that's fine also uh prepare your cornbread according to the package directions um bake set aside to cool uh whisk together the salad dressing mix your sour cream your mayonnaise um then crumble up half of your cornbread in the bottom of a large serving dish uh layer half of all the remaining ingredient on top of that mm-hmm. uh then top uh, with some of your salad dressing, uh, then repeat that with the, your remaining ingredients. So you're going to layer mm-hmm. that. Layer okay. it. So depending on how big, wide your dish is, is mm-hmm. depending on how many layers you get. Gotcha. Um, then uh, garnish as desired. Uh, you can garnish it with some bacon or save a little bit of the cornbread and sprinkle that on top, whatever you want to do. You had me at bacon. Bacon. Okay, so there we go. And then cover and chill two to three hours before serving. Simple as that. Yes. For the cornbread salad. And then for dessert, uh, it is a slow cooker, char- uh, let's try that again, slow cooker chocolate peanut butter lava cake. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, that sounds very rich. <laughs> yeah. So I made this this past weekend uh, for a cookout. Or uh, wasn't really, well, yeah, it was a yeah, cookout. Yeah, it was kind of a cookout. Yeah. It, w- it didn't turn out to no, be much of a cookout up, because it rained. Yeah, we but, ended up being inside. Yeah. We were supposed to be outside. We cooked out and yeah. then ate in. in but anyway. Yeah. yeah. The rain came. So a uh, 15.25 ounce uh, chocolate fudge cake mix, one cup of water, three eggs, a half a cup of oil, and a quarter cup of peanut butter. That's your first layer. For the pudding layer, then you have a 3.9 ounce uh, box of instant chocolate pudding. I used a chocolate peanut butter pudding and then two cups of milk. And then your optional uh, things that you can have at the end after it's all done is one cup of Reese Pieces candy and vanilla ice cream if you want. So in a medium-sized bowl, um, add your cake mix, your water, your eggs, your oil, your peanut butter, and blend all that together really well. And then in another bowl, uh, blend together your pudding mix and your milk until it's nice and thick. 
I used my electric mixer, uh, stir the, the slow cooker or spray the slow cooker mm-hmm. with your nonstick cooking spray, add the cake batter, then add the pudding by dropping dollops over the cake mix and kind of, you don't want to mix it together. Just kind of drop it in there uh, and make it even. Uh, cover and cook on high for about two hours uh, without opening the lid. Um, and then um, during the cooking time, so no, don't take off the lid during the cooking time. So that all, all that heat stays gotcha. in there and bakes the cake. Mm-hmm. Then add your Reese's Pieces right before serving and serve with some ice cream. Uh, it is really good with uh, ice cream yeah. and really good with the Reese's Pieces uh, yeah. sprinkled in after it because they kind of yeah. melt. They melt. In the, yeah. yeah, it's really yeah. good. Really yeah. good stuff uh, there. So the barbecue smoked sausage bites. The cornbread salad and the slow cooker chocolate peanut butter lava cake. Yes. Uh, We've got those (laughs) recipes posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN. It's also linked up at goodmornings.net. You can find those there. And uh, we will also share them on the WFIN Facebook page, yep. as always, uh, as well. So uh, make sure you go go to the uh, Facebook page, the uh, Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page. Like that page, and you'll get uh, the recipes every week. So like that page. And you can kind of share your thoughts on the recipes you got ways of oh, uh, yeah. improving those or mm-hmm. you know something that uh, you might want to do uh, uniquely mm-hmm. uh, on those you can share that uh, you can share your own recipes if you have yes. a request or, or what have you uh, right there at the uh, Facebook page good place for <laughs> all of that my wife Kyra with us this morning with the recipes from Kyra's Kitchen this week Kai, thanks very much you're welcome and that will finish up our podcast for today thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us via social media. Shoot us an email. If there's something you want to share directly, sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. Again, goodmornings.net is our little corner of the World Wide Web. Till Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, going out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.